This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. So I was I was uh, going to my email to click on the link for this podcast episode for this Zoom call, and right below it is a, uh, an email from Meat Eater. I'm on their mailing list. The title of the email caught my eye, and it's, "Do we have too many hunters or not enough?" Yeah. Our, our teammate, Rich Eastman, who is uh, heading up our newsletter, folks. Uh, if you want to get on the newsletter mailing list, send an email to huntquietly at gmail.com, and I'll make sure that that happens. Uh, anyway, yeah, I saw. So, Rich, just have you been on Discord? I have not. Oh, you need to get on there. That's where all the chatters happen. Oh, I, I I went on there. I saw the list, but I have not. Uh, I just perused it. So, folks, there's probably ten or twelve of, of core people right now that are working on various hunters for access and hunt quietly related things. So, we put up this app on our phones called Discord, which is a misnomer because I think of Discord as like, oh, if we were in Discord, doesn't that mean like unorganized? No, no, no. No, no, it doesn't. It means you're mad at each other. There was a lot of discord. That means like there was a lot of uh, disagreement. Yeah, that's disagreement. what I thought. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But, but it's anyway, really more it's, discussion. It's a great way to organize discussion. We yes. used to, our group used to just do it over text and it was so annoying. But now it's like, if you want to talk about what a douchebag that influencer is, it's under a tab. Douchebag influencers. No, we have. <laughs> folks, that's not one of the tabs, I promise. We're very professional. We're probably more professional behind the scenes than we are. <laughs> but but you but you have honorable mention in this article, man. Yeah, I saw that. Saw that. Good for you. Yeah, they but they kind of do the, that thing where they cover your article and try to do it just enough justice to suggest they've really thought about it for themselves. Before they spend three times as many words explaining why you're wrong, why I'm wrong, yeah, so yeah. that's what that was. Yeah. No, I actually was surprised at at how much they're how much uh, thought they put into why this is and and how maybe maybe we're all getting it right, but it's subtle. It's very yeah. Subtle. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> how the hell how the hell can they continue? If Meat Eater concludes that there's enough hunters, how the hell can they morally justify continuing to operate as a business when they're the biggest recruitment engine in the world? <laughs> right? It's hard to argue. Yeah. It's hard to argue. At that point, it's just like, okay, it is strictly business. We are willing to do a disservice to the American hunting population because we acknowledge that make more hunters are not needed, but we're willing to, but, but we're willing to continue to attract them in our quest for profits. And you know, man, 
when I was reading, we're going to be talking about land trust first, right? So we should we should tell the audience. By the this. way, this is going. We might not even get to that because <laughs> <laughs> I got some more preliminaries. I got some more uh, uh, how you say uh, housekeeping to do before we get to the matter of the day. The first thing, did you ever let watch Happy Days when you were a little kid? Oh hell yeah, all the time. Remember how when the Fonz when he would. He he would do something where he had to apologize, but he was so he couldn't say I'm sorry. <laughs> so he'd be like, um, yeah. But he couldn't get it out, you know. He couldn't get it out. Yep. Yeah. Well, I got one of them. I don't even know if you know about this, but Ben Loss, one of our contributors, you can see what all these people look like if you want now, because we have oh, a brand nice. new. You haven't been on there? Oh, I have been. I thought you were talking about the Discord. But yes, the website. Very, very much so, yes. Yeah, we have a brand new spickety-spankety website. So you go to huntquietly.org and see all of our shining faces. Everybody just thought it was just one angry old man (laughs) behind the scene, behind the curtain, right? But there's like eight of us or ten of us on there. Yeah. Some real young, attractive sons of bitches, too. Yeah, that turned out real nice. Yeah. So I got to do one of those. I was, uh, so uh, we're going to do some, we're going to do some, uh, some fundraising. <laughs> Did you know about that? No. Oh, yeah. Ben Law sent us, set us up. A crowdsourcing site, folks. Really? I did not know about that. Yep. So before (laughs) before you hit the pause, the stop button, let me just lay it out a little bit. Uh, We're going to rate, we're capping it at $3,000. And we don't take a penny for our merchandise. None of us get paid anything. All of our merchandise is at cost. And everything we do comes out of our pocket. This Podcast costs a little bit of money for auto en- audio engineering. Uh, we're starting this newsletter that costs money. I, by the end of this year, will have gone on three trips. And I'm not a traveling man. I don't like being on buses and planes and cars and trains. All to spread the hunt quietly message. I have been to the Montana Wildlife Society meetings in Butte, which is a six-hour drive. Uh, we'll be, I'll be putting out my talk I gave there pretty soon. And in Wyoming, I'm going to, to Lander, Wyoming in May to the Wyoming Outdoor Weekend where I'm going to be giving a presentation. Some folks are very curious down there, even people from the fish and game to hear what I have to say about R3 because they have a huge crowding problem in that state. In Wyoming, like some of their cherry elk and deer units are just comically overcrowded now. And then, oh, this isn't really hunt quietly. It's more hunters for access, but I'm going to make that trip. We're going to have our, we're having a national hunters for access fundraiser. And you're going to hear me talk about it so much that you're going to get nosh 
but it's an online raffle, and we got so much clutch stuff given to us from the very industry that we so frequently bash on. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I, the, hunting, the, the hunting industry that man it's hard to keep the hate up right now jim hey man With you know all the love you, they gave us you said it <laughs> we reprimand them when they're bad and we praise them when they're good mm-hmm. so this is i i hope that we praise them a whole lot lot more yeah yeah i hope they give us reason for praise yeah so we're we're, we're at the you go to huntersforaccess.org and that's where you're going to be able to buy your raffle tickets folks to do something for the biggest problem plaguing biggest problems because they're deeply interconnected facing hunters today which are crowding and lack of access you want to work on those problems then buy some raffle tickets when they come available on march 1st and i can guarantee you that you'll be hearing more from me about that you might not hear much else other than that from me. For I'll be time. I'll be buying tickets. I saw the list of prizes. I'm buying tickets. Yeah, we're yeah. allowed, right? Yeah, why not? I mean, if I it's gonna we're gonna do the drawing live, and if I pull if I'm I don't know who's pulling it, but if it's me and I pull yours, I'm gonna put it back in. <laughs> Only if it's yeah, I'll tell you. I'll <laughs> tell you something. Here's an admission. When I was a little tiny kid, I was at this w- raffle. At the Civic Center. It was some Civic Center event. They had a raffle. And my dad said, here's what you do with your raffle ticket. And he folded the corners at a 90-degree angle. Because he thought that that increased your chances that they pull your... Oh. So they'd know. fill it and fill that corner, and, and, and it would catch their hand, their yeah. finger. Yeah. And then... And did it work? <laughs> well... So they're about to do the drawing. They're like, who's going to pull this? You come up here, young man. And I'll be damned if my my seedy young ass didn't reach around in that bag until I felt one that had folds on it. <laughs> it was a very small, it was weird. There was only like 10 people there, so it didn't take much time. You know? <laughs> oh, you're so lucky. I can't believe you mm-hmm. pulled your own families. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to do a little crowdsource funding for to cover some of these expenses. So, I'm going to include the link in the liner notes for this week's episode if you want to want to help us out. Man, you're if you believe in what we're doing, you will never get more value cuz this team does so much work. So much work on social media and research and podcasting and just a few bucks to help us do what we're doing a little better is all we're asking. Or don't. Or don't. I don't care. I'm still going to do it. I'll just pay for it myself. Matter of fact, just don't. I changed, I changed my mind. <laughs> I don't think you've said it at all up in, until now. You've had so many out-of-pocket expenses. Oh, yeah. And I don't think people realize it. And I don't, and I'm not saying this just to kind of promote this because I'm just hearing about it now, but I've been saying it all along. I no, don't this think is this your be- idea. We had a discussion a few weeks ago, and then I got off the phone with you and called Ben and said, we need to set it up. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any shame. I know we're going to be transparent about it. I know the funds are going to be used appropriately and they're going to go to the right place and everybody's going to know where they went. And there's no shame in in funding the movement because the bigger the movement, the more the more it's going to require. Let's just be honest. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's no shame in that, man. If we talk about it anymore, it's going to be like we planned out, planned it out, you know, planned <laughs> to like spend a half hour on our crowdsource commercial. So yeah, did, did you ever see that video where uh that Weezer video where with they, Happy Days? Yeah. When they're in Arnold's. <laughs> is, I uh, love Weezer. What's the name of that song? Buddy Holly. Oh, oh. I look just like Buddy Holly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That video is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so land trust is a I don't I, you guess a hunting lease company. Was, They're basically what, an outdoor recreation source, is is how they phrase it. So succinctly as possible, is they allow landowners and hunters to find each other so that the hunter then pays the landowner a fee to go hunting. But there must be some serious freaking overhead on that transaction because this company, Land Trust, has venture capitalist money coming out of its keister. Yeah. They got $6 million from... Kevin O'Leary, that dude, that that Canadian, Shark Tank. yeah, business, yeah, and they got and they got more venture venture capitalist funding from other sources. I know they've got some from the Wilkes brothers, these oil tycoons that own a bunch of land in Montana. The point being, those folks are going to want their money back with interest. What's an interest? What's like a good interest, or like when you're a capital venture uh, venture capitalist firm, what are you hoping to get back on in returns? I don't know. Probably at least a three multiplier, right? Oh, at least. Oh, really? That can't be on average. I I don't know. I I have no idea. So no idea. Let's say it's, let's say it's, I would have thought it would be, they'd be happy with 30% return. Yeah. Uh, Maybe, maybe I'm way off. Well, let's say it's 50%. Then that means $3 million. They were, they're going to get 9 million back for their 6,000. That's, that's just the profit he's given to that this company's given to its financial backers. And that six million was only for 2023. That was oh. the 2023 investment. And according to this article, they're they're planning on adding four targeting four more states in 2024 and adding properties from those states. And that's what they're going to use the six million dollar investment for. Okay. Well, just to summarize, just to summarize real quick with the venture capitalist thing. That's not good, folks. When venture capitalists get involved in access, you cannot possibly think that hunting is going to get less expensive and more accessible. You know, what do you do about it? Well, you, you get involved in hunters for access. That's for one thing, one thing for sure, and or any other access program. And you don't use those people, man. If you're going to spend money on access, spend it on access for everyone. 
and and that's what I was going to say at the beginning. I was looking and reading these articles, and actually, I was reading the financials from Kevin O'Leary, and I think it's the um, it's called the Wonder Fund ND, and that's Kevin O'Leary's investment firm, and they're working with the Wilkes brothers. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about public land, and I'm thinking about R3, and just imagine a circle with a break in the line. And on one... Where's the break? On the side of the circle or the top? On the top. The, on the okay. top. Little and gap the right, in the circle. Little gap in the circle, right? And on one side, you have public land, and then the other side, you have land trust. And then in the middle of the circle, you have R3. And I don't know if this is deliberate, but if you think about the things that we talk about and how we we struggle with crowded lands and public lands and access, and then R3 is fueling that. And then what's on the other side of the circle is land trust, <laughs> solving that problem. And I don't know if these SOBs are deliberately creating this model, but my God, if they are, they're brilliant. Uh, they're brilliant. Um, oh, I, I think they're. I think they're absolutely brilliant. I mean, it, they are the benefactor of R three for sure. That's free advertising for them. Yep, and they are the benefactor of every hunting show that's ever been aired. They are the benefactor of every YouTube hunting channel, every hunting podcast, except this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to think we are not beneficial to land trust. They're the beneficiary of hunting social media, gripping grinners and influencers. They have millions of dollars worth of free advertising. And what's better? Every hunting luminary in the world is silent about them. I'll be honest with you. Do you watch Shark Tank? No. Okay, so Kevin O'Leary is no joke. Like he he's he's not going to going to invest in a company that fails. And the fact, like watching him all these years on Shark Tank and seeing how he he holds himself and seeing how he he invests comports, him, comports himself. Yeah. You just know, like, man, if he's dumping six million with land trust, it's a big fucking deal. So basically, we're podcasting for no reason right now because he's already won. Uh, full disclosure, there's times where I'm like, this is the model. This is the, this is the model. It, it's it's yeah. over. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I just do this because I think somebody needs to call it out, like say that the sky's falling. You know, we do, <laughs> we we do, man. And, and I'm I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm absolutely not throwing the towel. Yeah. I'm just being honest. Of sometimes, like when you read this stuff and you're looking at this stuff, you're going, man, this is. This is the new day and age of of hunting in America. Yeah, yeah. Well, all the celebrities. If you don't, if you're not against this shit, you're for it. So this is what all the celebrities want. You know, if, if you're just silent on it, then you think this is just grand. Uh, they, they, okay. So folks, they they've been 
enticing landowners to leave public access programs that allow everybody to hunt. I don't. So last year they were in two states, right? Yeah, that's what uh, was alarming to me last year when you you basically told me about them. I had never heard of them, and I looked them up, and they were in Montana, mostly in Montana and Kansas. And right now, as we speak, in just a year's time, they are in forty states and have over one million acres in their program. As of last year, when they were much smaller, even in Montana, they had already enticed three properties out of our state access program block management. I don't know. And I the one, the one was a big ranch. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The one just south of me in in Mile City. And it, yeah, and when I was at at a block management appreciation dinner last year, there was a rancher there. And he was talking about how. They had been giving him the hard sell. So the idea with these guys is they take, they, they try to get ranchers and farmers to sign on with them. And, it, and it's, it's detracting from a, it's, it's taking away from the a number of places that are open to just a banging on the door. And it's, and it's taken away from, from places that used to be enrolled in state programs that are funded by the sportsmen that allow everybody to hunt. Uh, if if you don't want hunting to get more expensive, if you don't, in my I'm ideologically opposed to pay hunting. I'd rather stay home than go pay hunting. But uh, you know, if you want, if you don't like paying for hunting, or you don't want to pay more for for hunting, then these are these people. You should pay attention to them, especially when they when it's it's so demonstrable of the fact that they smell big dollars that they were able to attract venture capitalists. Yeah, that, that that's that's the most alarming thing and and look man, you know, we've talked about this to the to the guys that maybe listen to this that have used land trust like look, we get it. You're trying to you're trying to find a, your 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 hunt, you're trying to find good properties to hunt, you're trying to find less crowds. We get it. But man, it's you got to look at the big picture and what this is doing to the model of of hunting in America. Yeah. Yeah. I if you if if you patronize land trust, you're you're wanting more land trust. If that's where you want hunting to go, then then use these guys. But I don't know, man. When I just look at all the work my group is doing for for access, we just got done with our fundraiser here in in, in Miles City for the Montana chapter, made 4500 bucks from local businesses donating stuff to us that we raffled off. And then just last night, we at one of the block management appreciation dinners, we gave out a cash shelter. We gave all, all kinds of gift certificates. We gave out three uh, battery-powered grease guns, some other, just a ton of stuff. And we're going to do all these work projects this summer. And everything we're doing, no venture capitalist firms with us, folks, everything we're doing is volunteer staff for free, and it's not to get access for ourselves. It's to get access for everybody. As yeah. a matter of fact, our president never hunts block management. And I and I'm the vice president and I and I rarely do. And that's this is not even to mention Jim and I and everybody else working on the national hunters for access, trying to move this to other states and increase the funding for these people to give appreciation to farmers and ranchers, other landowners enrolled in these programs across the nation. And 
and trying to help them get set up to do work projects and and and, and carry on the traditions of hunting that the, the traditions that have defined hunting in America all, all these years, you know. So it's just like it's just disheartening, man. It's just disheartening. If you care about the future hunting, work on access for everyone. That's I guess that's my message. I'll I'll go full circle on like I just talked about the way I felt reading this stuff like it's over. But then I've also had interactions with people where I feel confident that we're doing the right thing and we're we're making headway. I, I told you about that landowner in Iowa. Yeah. I mean, that was refreshing. And just to 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 retell the story, it was talking to a coworker and found out he was originally from Iowa. He's in Pennsylvania now with me. And I'm like, oh, shit, you live in Iowa, blah, blah, blah. We're, we start talking, and I'm like, man, where you grow up hunting? He's like, yeah. And I said, you know, where'd you hunt? He goes, my uncle has 8,000 acres. And I said, oh, shit, is it is it leased out or with an outfitter? He's like, fuck no. He's like, my uncle's absolutely against that. He, like, lets his friends and family hunt there. But oh, is man. against it, man, you know? So yeah. there are landowners that see that problem with what's going on, and they're against it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. little, maybe just a tiny bit less editorializing and weaving in a, a few more facts. So, oh, uh, okay. Is this, are, you, are we good to move on just a little bit? I was going to go lay out a few of the prices, or were you going to do that? No, go for it, man. So I just wrote down a few. I just was scanning through just to give you an idea. Uh, this is per person per day, 200 for whitetail. These are all different properties, 300 for an elk, 200 for grouse. Uh, I guess those are the only ones I have written down, just, just to give you a sense of what they're charging. You know, you could, you could pay two, two, 300 bucks. There's probably, I only looked at a few. I mean, there's 180 some properties just in Montana that they have. So I, I just looked through a few. Oh, I think there's 700 in Montana. Mm, is it really? Yeah. There's there's over 700 properties in Montana. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, they might not all be hunting. Some might be fishing. Some oh, might I just, be... I just clicked on hunting. Yeah. There's like, you can, you can just select fishing, hunting, and wildlife viewing. Yeah, so I was on the hunting one, but uh, I don't care about the rest of that crap. You gotta pay to go fishing. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> or to look at birds. Jeez. Yeah, right. That's pretty pretty crazy. Uh, a little bit about the owner. His name is Nick DeCastro, and he is from Southern California. And I guess he grew up in San Juan Capistrano, and he lived in. New York and in Boston, Chicago, Boulder in his I guess early adulthood or in his early in his career and working in, in, in technology and media sales. But and he's he's really positioned his company as this virtuous thing that he's he's kind of tried to in he's more than just subtly insinuating, he's just all right says all the time. He's concerned about conservation. That's why he's doing this. He's concerned about conservation. And because he's concerned about the profitability of farm and ranch income. 
little odd to me that a guy that worked in tech his whole life and in media from Southern California all of a sudden develops this deep interest in conservation and supporting the American farmer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that, I don't know, it just, it strikes me a little bit. Oh, it's, it, I'll just go further and say me personally, it strikes me as so disingenuous that that's a big part of his motivation. I mean, the, I, the a conservation argument is that if, if these landowners are getting paid and they're getting paid based on how big the deer are or how many grouse there are, that they're going to take better care of their place. Yeah. I don't, I don't buy it because like you said, and, and honestly looking at some of these prices, they are, they vary, but they're not astronomical. Okay. Not all of them. No, once they get all the land, that's when they're going to jack up the prices. Well, you could see <laughs> what properties have the potential for bigger animals because the prices reflect that. Yeah. So you 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 could you could you could read between the lines on that, but that argument doesn't doesn't bode well because those properties are not going to generate that much money to prevent them from falling victim to development or or being sold off or subdivided or farmed from fence row to fence row like they are right there's no way they could generate that much money charging 200 bucks a day to hunt there yeah i i don't know it's a it's a unsubstantiated claim that right. people paying them to hunt is going to cause them to engage more intensively in, in, in conservation uh but that's the that's the argument and he <laughs> he's so lazy about his argument that he's concerned about farm and farm and ranch properties going under that he cites they cite on their website a projected 2022 median farm income okay if i was getting paid 6 million dollars i think i would let I would probably find time to update my website. <laughs> so that's oh, not, 20, yeah, it's not even, that's not even the actual value, Jim. That's the projected yeah. value, but it, it really wouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things because did you see the value? Wasn't it? It's negative 1385. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's always, it's the hovering about that, but for the last, for, for, for God knows how long it's been, the average, not the average, the median farm income in the U.S. is negative. It's been that way for quite a while. But it's, it's absolutely a meaningless number, as I'll, as I'll soon explain. Uh, do you know the difference between a median and a mean, Jim? Yes. Oh, lay it on me. Um. The mean is the. Well, you're going to make me look stupid here. Well, you could have said no. <laughs> the median is the average, and the median is the middle. Yeah, but that's just defining a word with another word. What's the formula? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> the median is if you take you got a collection of numbers, whether it's farm incomes or 
or, or weights or breast sizes or whatever. And you, the median, you, you rank them from the small, you put them in order, the, the weight, the, the numbers from small, right. you pick the middle one. Right. It's, it's, it's insensitive to outliers, like particularly small, or if there's a handful of very small or large numbers, it doesn't really influence the median because you're just ranking them up and picking the middle one. The mean is you take all the numbers, add them up, and then divide by the number. Yeah, of the average, right, right. Did I say that right? I don't remember what you said. You know oh, what the I mode can't... is? No. The mode is you rank order the values from smallest to large. Well, it doesn't you don't even have to do that. It's the most frequent number in the in the collection of numbers. You know it's, what I'm saying? Like if it was two, 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 four, three, the mode would be two. Because okay. it's the most frequent number in the uh do you know what the difference be- between the mean, median, and mode of a normal distribution is? Mm-mm. Zero. They're the same. I think it's that way with all symmetric probability distributions. The mean, median, mode is the same. It's only when they're skewed that they differ. I haven't taken a stat class in uh, over 20 years. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to geek out on that. I don't know why I started <laughs> thinking about that. But uh, the So the median farm income <laughs> is negative. And he says... He all is very alarmed on his website. I keep saying he, but they, I don't know who wrote it based on these 2002 projected, but nonetheless, leaving that aside, although it's, it is comical to me that we have a gorgeous new website and we, and nobody gave us $6 million, (laughs) (laughs) but it's because they, there are so many, uh, farms and ranches where the farm is not the primary source of income. Most farms are classified in the country are, are classified as residence farms, which, which means that the, the farmer is retired or has a primary occupation other than farming. My, my place is a farm. Right. My six acres in my barn in my house, is qualified as a farm. And so, yeah, I, got, I have negative farm income because I don't produce any commodities. I just raise my llamas. Yeah, I have I have some property too, and, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's considered a farm. A farm. Oh, it, there you go. Yeah, there it, you it go. is. Yeah. Yep, it's classified as ag land, but I don't make any income on it. Here's what he could have reported. He could have reported that farm income, mean farm income this is, or maybe it's median. I don't care. I don't remember. We'll just have to assume it's normally distributed. It's median. So it's median. Okay. So median farm income. And, oh, how do you know this? I have it right in front of me. What is it? It's uh, $1,385 negative. No, 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 no. I'm talking about farm income. Oh, I don't know. It just says USDA 2022 medium farm income forecast. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm screwing this up. I'm sorry, folks. Let's get this clear. Jim was right. And what we've been talking about is median farm income, which is negative. And that's because there's so many places that are farm. And when you're in, in, in that, so there's another statistic 
that is way more meaningful, and that's median farm household income. Oh, okay, okay. That's not what the household gets from the farm. That's what the household earns. Can you guess on what that is? I have no idea. 100000 a year. Do you know what it is in the general population? A household, it's got to be... It's got to be more than that. 120, 160. 75. No shit. So, wow. He's making the argument that he's doing something just for the blighted or the, the depraved American farmer or rancher, 10 to 50% of whose income comes from the taxpayer. That that's what land trust is about, is doing something for the destitute farmers of America, even though they, the farmer and the rancher makes $25,000 more than the, than the median non-farmer. Uh, 98% of all family farms are wealthier than the average American household. So shouldn't he be trying to find places for the average guy that's not a farmer to hunt? Being that they make twenty five thousand less dollars than the farmer, well, that's that's the whole premise. He's saying that what he has to offer is affordable to the average Joe. They they actually say that not as affordable as block management, which you've already paid for when you bought your license. <laughs> you know, it's just so ass nice. It's like, why don't you just admit it? He probably wouldn't look, like this country's so morally bankrupt he probably wouldn't lose a single customer if he just said yeah me and these venture capitalists are in it to make money hell i might even book a hunt with him then he was just honest (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh nick if you're listening to this if you'll just come out and say that you're (laughs) in a in an unabashed profitably motivated businessman i will go against my interests that's the best way to say it because i'm just not interested in paying and i will book a hunt with you there's the challenge <laughs> that would be classic <laughs> we could have a detente me and Nick. i would have so much more respect for him if he just said yeah i'm trying to make cash bro then it's about conservation and and helping the <laughs> the destitute farmer. Yeah, I mean he he says that. I'm I'm looking at this thing I printed out. Support for farmers and ranchers. You know, he talks about um creating income for for farmers from their land and preventing subdividing and preventing Dude, um, the places most, the vast majority of the places that they have leased up in the state are forty miles from a town. When's yeah. the last time you've seen an apartment complex go up forty miles from a town? <laughs> well, he talks about this, man. It's like, um, of course. Wait, do you believe that they have? He sits around at night trying to figure out ways to make his bullshit company seem virtuous. If it's so virtuous, why you got to give money to venture capitalists? Why doesn't he set up this website and just do it for free? With the work we're doing, we could set up a website that connected landowners and ranchers. 
let's say we, we directed our efforts towards that. Let's say that was what we believed in. Okay. Connecting like he claims he that he's morally driven. Right. Mm. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah. He claims he's morally driven that he's doing this for conservation and for the underprivileged large landowner of America. So we have concerns and our concerns are for act for high quality non-pay hunting for the people that do it for hide horns, meat and personal satisfaction. And the fact that hunting has been the integrity of hunting has been degraded by a bunch of gluttonous self promoters. So why can't he do what he's doing for free? It doesn't seem that expensive. I don't know what they're doing with all that money. Not when you got the Wilkes brothers involved, not when you got Kevin O'Leary involved, they ain't doing nothing for free. Yeah. So Nick, there's another challenge to you. If this is a moral quest you're on, why don't you do it like us? We do it for free. Go get a freaking job. You obviously got some skills. You work at, you've worked in technology and media for at least over a decade. You know, be like Jim. Jim does safety officer work, right? Environmental health and safety, yeah. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm a, a research ecologist. We have a day job. We do this stuff in our spare time. So uh, there's, a, there's a challenge to you. That's a challenge I make to every influencer. Because every in- hunting influencer, every hunting celebrity that claims that they're doing it because they're concerned with, well, I want to set a positive example. Or I'm doing this to make send a conservation message. Etc. Except so okay. I don't believe you. But why don't you do it like for free, like us then? The, the only thing is is the the counter argument to this is to create more access and better hunting on public land. And that's that's what they say. No, no, no. I'm saying that right now. Counter argument to what? To, to land this trust? model, to the land trust model. Well, you're saying that counter. The counter argument to my counter argument. So you're, aren't you saying the argument for land trust is this? No, I'm saying the way to combat land trust. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Is Sorry. hunters for access and creating public or, or improving hunting on public, public land. That's the way, that's the way this model loses. Yeah. Yeah. And boycotting social media, which is the thing that, hunting social media and hunting content, which is the thing that's driven up the price for these. The, you take out hunting TV and hunting social media back in 18, 1985, with, starting with hunting TV and then moving forward, leave out the, the YouTube nonsense and the Facebook and the Instagram, there would be no land trust. Yeah. Really? Um, Do you think there'd be, you don't seem convinced. Do you think that Outdoor Life magazine would have, in, would have led to land trust? No. But I will say this, like this model, the pay model for private land access has been around for, for a while because absolutely it has in, but- in nine or, uh, 2011, I hunted Wyoming for antelope and back in the day, the, the Wyoming fishing game had a list of landowners and you could call them all over the state. And I still have the list. I have my notes trying to find a place to hunt. And they all charged back in 2011. 
way before land trust. So that yeah, model, but they they probably didn't charge before 1985 when cable hunting TV. That's what I'm saying. Yep. That that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there would be no land trust if it wasn't for hunting media. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely agree. That's what the people that you guys all worship and stuff, like all the hunting celebrities and stuff, that's what they've done for you. They've created they've 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 made lease companies viable business enterprises and still you patronize them. I just don't get it. It's like people just need to start directing their eyeballs away from this nonsense because it's just utterly screwed you. I mean, I just don't know how to get, I don't know how to reason to any other conclusion that if hunting media would have stayed in magazine form, you wouldn't now have to be paying land trust. And we're supposed to still like hunting media? I, I feel betrayed by hunting media and the people that, that produce it. <laughs> Unless you think that an outdoor life magazine at your dentist's office would lead to land trust. <laughs> no. You have to admit that hunting TV and hunting social media caused land trust. There is not a doubt in my mind that the popularity of hunting generated through hunting media, hunting TV is definitely the, the direct result of, of land trust. Making it popular. No, the direct, the direct product is land. Product, product. yes. Yeah. Making it, making it, basically, essentially creating an industry yeah. where people pay to hunt. Yeah. Yeah, that's, to me, the, the argument in favor of hunting media is I like hunting media more than hunting. It brings me more satisfaction and joy than the actual act of hunting. Because that's the only argument there is. Mm. Because why would you do something that's counter to, that, that reduces your, your opportunity and increases the cost of your cherished activity? Why would you do anything to imperil your, the thing that you care about unless you cared more about watching other people do it than doing it yourself? I think, though, probably... The, the the main their main target audience though is the non-resident don't you think like uh, do you think there's montanans using land trust to hunt montana properties oh i wouldn't be surprised i don't know i'm just i would have to it, it would be maybe like a small speculation less than five percent maybe well there's just a lot of affluent people moving to this state right now and I suspect that they probably use land trust quite a bit. When you figure that there's a more resident hunting that takes way more resident hunting that takes place in Montana than non-resident hunting. So that's gotta be a portion of their, their, their clientele. Either way, man, if there's just any way, any way you guys can just not. Just figure out some way that isn't that. You know, that's the that's the beauty of hunting anyway. It's eking it out. It's struggling, you know. So just do that. Just, just fight to be successful. Don't take a cheap cop-out 
a pro. It's not cheap. Don't pay your way to success in hunting, man, because it's just going to lead to more of that. And the sense of gratification and accomplishment you're going to feel when you harvest something is going to be so much higher than if you had to go up and stroke a check to the landowner at the end. You know, and it just breeds more of that. Doing that breeds more of that. I don't it's know. It's definitely a wicked cycle, man. Yeah, it's a cascading effect. I don't know if it's clear to people that listen, but I don't. I just hunt my own state. I don't even put it in in, a, in, a, in a, any other states. I've hunted many states. I've hunted Alaska a fair bit. I've hunted Alabama, Michigan, Montana, California. What did you hunt in California? Pigs. All oh, pigs. Yeah, but I anymore because I have these pack llamas I enjoy hunting with them and my dog, my little dog. I just hunt my own state now. And with most years with over-the-counter tags or with tags that are almost a guaranteed draw. If I lived in your state, I probably wouldn't travel too far to go hunting. Mm-hmm. Why would you? Yeah, yeah. And if I lived in your state, I don't think I would either, Jim, though. Just to be honest, it sounds like there's some pretty damn good deer hunting there. There is. I, there is. I mean, Pennsylvania is a, a, a really... There is Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and not a lot in the middle of the state. I mean, there's some rural country in the middle of the state, especially the northern middle part of the state, man. You think you're you're in you're in Canada or somewhere else. You just, it doesn't feel like Pennsylvania. And then Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's such a small city. People think it's a big metropolitan area. It's a small city. You travel. I mean, literally you're driving into city limits and there's dead deer on the side of the road. Oh, wow. So you're 20 minutes in any direction. Well, maybe a little bit more, maybe 30 minutes in any direction outside of the city. You're in, you know, you're in semi-rural area or, or maybe that's not accurate, but you, you get the point. There's deer and there's hunting occurring. Yeah. Yeah. So you just basically spot burned your own state, whatever. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no, it's, it's not Iowa. It's not Illinois, but there's definitely whitetails for sure. Why do you big? Why do big deer spots move around? That's one of the fascinating things to me about whitetail deer is that all of a sudden somebody will shoot a monster in a place that's not known for a monster. Yeah. Look at that guy that shot that record book in Indiana. Oh, but isn't Indiana known for big bucks now? No. Not, not as much I mean, as Iowa. Not as much as Iowa, Kansas, Illinois, okay. yeah. Missouri. I told you about this monstrous buck that got hit by a, by a vehicle in Montana last fall, right? Yeah, I'd love to see a picture of that thing. I got to give you that. This thing is a giant, an absolute giant. I, I'm tempted to throw a number at it, but I I, I, I might get it wrong. I'll, I'll text my buddy Harrison that sent me the picture. But this is an area that it's not egg at all. There's no egg. It's That's mountains. even crazier. There's mountains in a valley, and somebody schmucked it in the valley. Man. Yeah. When you get 
when you get around that 200 mark, north of 200 on any on any animal, especially and I white think he tail, was. I think he was. That's an enormous deer, man. Yeah. yeah. When when you were a kid, did you ever? And I say kid, like so you're just a couple years older than me. So this would be probably like. Let's see, you would have been in high school. Did you ever watch the Nashville Network? Did you guys get that channel? Nashville. No, it did not. TNN. We, we did not. We did, we did get cable. Or maybe we did, but we did, that was just wasn't in, in, of interest to us. When it, I wish we can go back to the days where hunting TV only existed on one night. Oh, there you channel. go. There you go. That Sunday not- nights, man. You'd finish watching some fishing shows. In the evening, and then at seven thirty, the hunting shows would come on. Yeah, I think the I think Americans would could manage that just fine without losing their freaking minds and destroying our pastime. That's yep. that's that's a great idea. Just one night a week, one night a week, and you look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, hunt, yeah. You hunt. You could do all your hunting. It's not in, in, in um, intruding on your hunting. You know, you're not sitting in front of a computer. I love it. Just a little taste. Just, just a, a little, little taste. Like, let's go back to the old <laughs> days. Bring back Sunday nights on TNN. <laughs> little Jackie Bushman. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That that that's about about the most we can withstand before we start trying to buy up all the access for our and, and you get your fishing fish fix you know before that with bill dance and yeah, just, winkleman that whole all that stuff never grabbed me grabbed me because i just don't like large amount bass yeah that's that's why i love the um linders what do you fish for they always fish for like walleye they smallmouth they they fish for a variety of stuff the lenders did oh okay they were they were generalists yeah did they ever put they, one in the cooler or they're like, man i don't know i'd have to i'd have to go back and watch some that's of the another episodes. thing that i just never quite got is i don't i just never got the point in harassing a fish to let it go. I did it I did it a little bit. See, you're just lucky you grew up in an area where you could actually keep fish. Like we there's still mills around here, man. We couldn't keep anything growing up because oh, everything was polluted. Yeah. And and there don't get me wrong. There there was a power plant in the town where I grew up called the BC Cobb plant. And it was a Coal fire plant. I don't know why, but coal fire plants, they need water. There's always, there's one here, 70 miles from where I live, where they made a channel in the Yellowstone River to bring water to this thing that's 40 miles from the Yellowstone just to, because they need cold water from some, for some reason. Do you understand what that is? Um, I don't know what the cold water serves as. No, I don't. Role is. But anyway, in the hot water discharge, so the water goes in cold, it comes out hot. 
Mm. So it has to have some role in the electricity generating process. The carp would stack up in that w- warm water in the winter, and we would go down there and snag them. And we d- we didn't eat them. We thought that was great fun, though. Carp, oh, carp are so fun to catch. But now as a grown-ass man, there's no way in hell I would go back and do that. Or fish for anything else that I wasn't going to eat. I also used to fish for bonefish a little bit in the tropics. And, you know, you generally, there's in the Bahamas, you got to let them go. You can't keep them. You know, we, the Ohio River is, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes from my house. And the fishing has gotten so good there. But the PCBs, you can't eat them. You just can't eat them. You know what? And, what's crazy is uh, Hal Herring. I ha- I interviewed him. David and I interviewed him. Yeah. Did you listen to that? I did. Yep. You know his take. You remember what his take was on that? I can't remember offhand. No. Here's what a conservationist and an environmentalist that guy is. He's like, I don't care. I'd eat that fish. Man, I don't know about that. Do you get the sentiment behind it? I do. I I, I, I kind of do. I'm not trying to explain it to you because I don't get it fully myself either. So I'm just throwing this out there and to see if you would agree with it. I feel as though the sentiment there is I just refuse to accept the fact that humanity has polluted their environment so badly that I can't eat the fish. And I'd rather just eat them and deal with the consequences than accept that fact, which is beautiful. Yeah, that's deep. Yep. That's deep. And I understand where he's coming from, but... (laughs) I'd do it. I'd sit down to a three-eyed fish dinner with Hal. Do you ever see that? There's a Simpsons where a fish has yeah. three eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just some, you know, they have sewage issues on the Ohio. They have PCBs from the mercury, steel mills. right? Mercury, yeah. I think mercury's, even, a, mercury's a scary atom. That's an atom. It's not even a molecule. And they have mercury in all over the place, not just urban areas. It's scary in this in this sense to me because I don't I'm not so concerned about longevity. I'm concerned about being able to think clearly and and move and be fit physically and do the things I love. But that thing, that shit drives you insane. But even like in the non-polluted waters, I think they only recommend one helping of fish per month. Wait, you're saying that's a blanket recommendation for all? Uh, and and I don't know, I don't know the source, but I I believe that that at least back here in Pennsylvania, like for example, oh, if you catch I, something, okay, not nationwide, but in Pennsylvania, they're saying yeah, don't like eat if fish. you like a non-polluted water. If you catch walleye out of Lake Erie, very popular. If you go there, their recommendation is only one helping of fish. Per month, how is that not at least? And again, don't how is that don't not quote me least, on that. But you're right. But how is that not at least led to a policy of 
not forced, not forced like China, but encouraging people to have less kids. I mean, when you're, when you're at a point where you can only withstand to eat critters on the food chain that are lower than you 12 times a year, does that not say, well, maybe we should stop? That's an extreme, that's an yeah. extreme conclusion. I, I take it back. How much fish do you eat in a month or the, or the recommended once do you a guys week. have one, you eat fish once a week. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, some of it's from Alaska and some of it's from Montana. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I haven't looked into it. One of the places that I ice fish in the winter, as we've talked about on this podcast before, when it comes to terrestrial aquatic, that's not the right word, terrestrial aquatic ecosystems, inland, freshwater fishing, I like to fish for perch and bluegills and crappie. That has changed my life in the last year. Mm. It has totally changed how I pack my freezer. Oh. Because of the conversations we've had. We've oh, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yep. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I just really enjoy everything about it. Everything about fishing for perch and blue, bluegill and crappie, especially through the ice. And I I love cleaning them. Because I've had, I have it down to a science, and you know those are fairly down low on the food chain, so maybe they don't have as many, as much toxic buildup. But bio, they call that, and they're so good bioaccumulation. They call that, yeah, yeah. So, but one of the places I like to ice fish is mm, about a hundred miles east of a coal fire plant. And that, and that's a that's a source of mercury mercury accum- accumulation. That's where mercury comes from primarily. I think is from the burning of fossil fuels. It gets deposited from the atmosphere into inland lakes and streams. And there used to be a sign there. I don't know why it's not there anymore. I can only imagine it's because. They test it every year. In the last several years, it hasn't been above the threshold. But th- that lake used to have a sign, don't eat fish out of here more than once a month. So yeah. same. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. We have a place in the Ohio that, honest to God, you we and I've done this before. By my house, you can go and catch carp, catfish, channel cats, perch. Crop, uh, uh, not crappie, sauger, walleye, white bass, smallmouth bass, and yes, we've even pulled largemouth bass out of the river. <laughs> well, uh, you're, not not, to, you're not supposed to eat any of that? And nothing. Oh. Nothing. Oh. I've gone down there and I've caught over 70 white bass. In in one day that I didn't keep one of them. Oh, <laughs> what's a white bass exactly? I've heard of it, but I don't know where, what that is. 
shaped where are they like native, a, Where are they native to? Are they native to there? They must be. I, I have no idea. Okay. To look it up. Man, that, how, if that's not your warning sign that something's gone wrong, and this is not the hunt quietly stuff we're talking about now, this is just more, this is more important than hunt quietly. That you can't eat the fish in your environment. That's not good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's that, I mean, it brings me back to that Hal Herring thing where he's indignant about it. He said, he says, I'm just, I refuse to accept that. I would, I will assume the risks of a shorter life expectancy for that to not be the case. But you gotta wonder, like, and I don't know, they, they almost look like a, like a striper, like a small, small striper. A striper. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll look into them at some point tonight. I'm sure now because you, my, I mean, and you can go and just pound them, but you almost got to wonder, like, and I'm not. How done big it. are they? They can get a pound or two. Okay. I caught a 33 inch mus, 33 inch musky out of there, oh. and it was, it was like, dude, people were fishing. We go to this one spot; it's near a dam, and man, like. Everybody stopped in their fucking tracks yeah. to come and see this fish. Oh, I bet. I bet. My friend Kent Unlin, who's been on the podcast, he's a wildlife biologist. Yeah. Down. He, his son, and Dylan lives in Wisconsin with his, and he grew up with his mom. And that, growing up, that kid fished muskie. I didn't realize mm -hmm. how hard it is to catch a muskie. It's a fish of 10,000 casts, right? Oh, that's the saying? Yeah. Oh, shit. 10,000 casts per muskie. Oh, thanks. And they have them in, in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Oh. Not, not very common, but there's some lakes that are, that are known for muskie lakes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Where I grew up... I'm sure they're there, and I never caught one. I, I caught tiger muskies once in a while. It's a musky pike cross. Really? Yeah. Huh. Guess how many offspring they can have in one nest. Oh, I can only imagine. Zero. What? They're sterile. Oh, they're sterile. Like a horse and a... A mule, a donkey, a donkey, but it, but that gets tricky. It depends if the horse is a. It's only with the if the donkey is a male, and the horse is a female, then you get a donkey, and they're sterile. But if the donkey is a female. And the horse is a male, then you get something called a ginny. Mm, I've heard of that, yeah. And I, I don't know if they're sterile or not. They call them a ginny mule. Holy shit, are we covering a lot of ground <laughs> on this on this episode? It's it's becoming intellectually, it's it's just becoming factually 
inaccurate to call this a a, a land trust episode anymore at this point. <laughs> I've realized when we start talking fishing, how much then, then, I'm into fishing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, this is this conversation, Jim, talking to you is such a pleasure. I I get so much out of it and and so I don't I, I just don't know how to wrap up something like this because I think this has been such a valuable discussion. I don't know if other people if this is a, a benefit to them or not. I, yeah, I hope people it's I out there people. if they want to look at listen to it. But to me, yeah. I'm gonna go to bed and I'm gonna sleep soundly tonight knowing that knowing that we've thought through a lot of important stuff. So Yeah, I, thank I you, agree. my friend. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the conversation as well, Matt. I, I I always enjoy it. And I hope that people out there see that that what we're we're thinking about and what we're trying to bring to light has value, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good night, my friend. All right. Good night. Take care.